Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we have the parable of the workers in the vineyard or the laborers in the vineyard, people doing work in the vineyard. And Jesus tells this parable to explain something that is not fair. Many are who are first will be last, he says, and many who are last will be first. And that isn't fair. We don't declare the last person in the race to be the winner. We don't give the student with the lowest score the best grade. That would not be fair. And we really like fair. Fair is good. We learn from a very early age to complain when things are not fair. And to accuse people of being unfair, even when maybe it's not really an issue of fairness. I am a dad, so I hear a lot of complaints about fairness. Even before I was a dad, I was a teacher which is just like being a dad, except you have 90 kids instead of three or four. And I heard a lot of appeals to fairness. Tuck in your shirt, I would say, because it was my job, among many others, to enforce the school's dress code. And I would write a referral, and the student would say, almost inevitably, Pastor Sharp, it's not fair. It's not fair that I'm getting a referral. And we read this parable, we hear these words of Jesus saying that these workers got paid the same amount no matter how much they did, and we say, Jesus, it's not fair. It's not fair that in your parable, the workers who lazed around all day and barely did anything received the same wage as those who had worked all day. It's not fair. Now, I live in Uruguay, in South America. We speak Spanish there, and in Spanish, there is not really a good word for exactly what we mean, usually, when we say fair. In Spanish, they say justo, which is like just or justice, you know? So it's not just. And a lot of times when we say something's not fair, uh, it's really not a matter of injustice, that would be a little bit more than we're trying to say. When my 11-year-old complains that it's not fair that his 9-year-old brother gets to stay up as late as he does, uh, I don't think that's really a matter of injustice. I imagine he might disagree with me, but I think I'm right on this one. It's not really a matter of justice. But let's think about these people. Let's try to put ourselves in the place of these workers. For the same kind of work, the people who worked an hour got the same as the people who worked all day. And back in those days, a, a work day was more like 10 or 12 or sometimes even 14 hours, depending on how much daylight there was. And so we can say that's certainly not fair, and I think if we think about it, if we put ourselves in that position, and if I were there and I worked all day under the hot sun, 
and someone who barely did anything got the same as I did, I won't even say that that was not just. And it certainly is not fair. And so they grumbled a little bit. They complained. I can't believe this. This is ridiculous. We did all the work and they get just as much money as we do. But, says the employer, but friend, he says, I'm not being unfair. It would be unfair, it would truly be unjust not to give the first workers what they had agreed upon. Because that's really what fairness and what justice is. It's getting what you're supposed to get. You agreed to a denarius, amigo, and you get a denarius. That's fair. And if he treated everyone fairly, that is, if he rewarded them according to the amount of work they did, those first ones who worked all day would not get more. The last ones would just get less. That would be fair, right? I had this wonderful rehearsed speech for uh, my students when they told me I wasn't being fair, especially with the, the dress code stuff. It was great. I would say, actually, when they said it wasn't fair, actually, and this is back before the word actually had been discredited, so it worked quite well. Actually, I am being fair. I'm giving you exactly what you earned. I'm giving you what you agreed to. You signed the student handbook. You know the dress code. You know what you should get, and I am giving that to you, just like I do to the other students whose shirt is untucked or who don't have on a belt or the belt is not black or brown or their shoes don't have backs or their dress shirt is the wrong shade of blue or whatever. That's fair. And what you are asking me for, dear student, is not to be fair to you, but to be unfair, to be unjust, to treat you as someone special, someone to whom the rules do not apply, and who will not receive what you are supposed to receive for this infraction. That would be unfair to all of those who have followed the rules. It would also be unfair to those who have not and have received punishment, and it would ultimately be unfair to you. So, write the referral, here's your fare. They didn't like that speech, but I really did. But I understand why they appeal to fairness, because we all have a natural, innate sense of fairness. Some of us, like my second son, have an overdeveloped sense of fairness, perhaps. We know what's fair, and we generally don't like it when things aren't fair. Unless, of course, fairness means something bad for us, then, well, maybe it's not fair to be fair. And so these workers, these laborers who had worked hard, they did their jobs all day, hot sun, they thought they had been wronged. It was not fair. If the guys who did one hour got a denarius, we should get 10 times that much because we did 10 times as much work. And they didn't get 10 times as much and they complained. And the guy who hired them tells them this unwelcome truth that is he is giving them exactly what he said he would. And just in case they didn't accept that, and I'm sure that did not make them happy, he hits them with a double whammy and he says, well, wait, 
can't I do whatever I want to do with my money? If I want to be generous to these other people, if I want to give them more than they deserve, do you begrudge my generosity, our text says? I use this on my kids all the time. Can't you just be happy for someone else? The answer is no. They are incapable of being happy for anyone else if anything good happens to them. In uh, Brazil, I, I have a bunch of stories that I wanted to use as illustrations, but I didn't because we were under time pressure in 8 o'clock service. But my understanding from Pastor Campbell is I have no such time requirements now. So I have lots of stories. I was an exchange student in Brazil many years ago. And I learned, you know, you learn those little things when you're in a different culture that not everything translates perfectly. And in Brazil, they have this uh, little idiom that if you say good for you, it doesn't mean it like we mean it here. Oh, my wife is pregnant. Hey, good for you guys. Oh, I got a, a new uh, job. Good for you. Oh, I got a raise. Good for you. Oh, I'm going to the Bahamas for vacation. Good for you. You know? Um, we say that all the time, and so I would say that, and then they instructed me that, well, that's not really a nice thing to say in Brazil. I'm like, how is that a nice thing, not a nice thing to say? Good for you. I'm cheering you on. And they said, well, in Brazil, it kind of means like, well, that's good for you, but what do I get out of it? Okay, you got a raise, but that doesn't do me any good. You know, oh, your wife's pregnant. Great. My wife's not pregnant. Good for you. You know, so I had to stop saying that or saying it in, you know, really specific context. And I think about that all the time when my kids are complaining about good things happening to other people. That's good for them, but it's not good for my kids. And they just can't be happy with the good things that are happening to other people. And these first laborers, the first ones, the ones who had done all the work, just couldn't be happy that these other guys got a full day's wage for one hour of work. That is an excellent, good for you, bon provoce moment. It's great, good, but that doesn't do me any good. I did all the work. It's not fair, it's not right. And Jesus tells this parable to say what? That this is how the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. This is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the present reality of how it comes to us in the kingdom of heaven, some you might think should be first are last, and some you might think are last are first. God is generous with people we might not think deserve it, and we might think some people deserve more than they actually get. And it can be easy for us to look at God's generosity and think, well, that's not fair. But the last thing any of us should want is a God who deals with us fairly. Because what would be fair for us is not good for us. This is the deal with God. Love him. Serve him. Trust only in him. Obey him and his will perfectly, and you will live. 
If you fail in any of this, the least bit of this, if you fail to love him with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and all your soul, if you put your trust in yourself for your own abilities or in other people or in money or in your job or in a political party or a football team or your spouse or the wonderful pleasurable sensations that we can find in people and things, if you disobey God's law in the least little bit by what you do, say, think, or feel, or by what you fail to say, think, feel, or do, if you do not love and trust and obey God perfectly, then you will die. That's the deal. And some people lie to themselves and say, well, no, I've, I've never done anything wrong. I've never disobeyed God. I don't deserve his wrath. But St. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what is fair for us? What have we earned? We, by our disobedience and selfishness, and willingness to hurt others and ignore God and put our trust in things created instead of the Creator have earned only destruction. And it is important to remember that when we confess our sins, that we are confessing that we are just as bad, just as undeserving of good, just as deserving of death and hell as every other sinner. It is important to remember and to believe and to trust that, thanks be to God, God does not deal with them fairly, and God does not deal with us fairly. He does not give us what we truly deserve. But our God is a just God, and justice demands that he punish transgression. He must punish sin. And our God is just, but he is not fair. Our God is merciful and does not give us what we have earned by our disobedience. In his mercy and in his justice, he sent his son Jesus to do the labor that we could not. To love God perfectly, to love neighbor perfectly, to keep God's law perfectly, not for himself, but so that he could offer himself up to the righteous wrath of God as a perfect offering for sin. Not only for some, but for everyone. Not for just people who have earned it or are good enough, but for all people, for all sins, for all time. Our just and merciful God is also our gracious God, who gives us what we have not earned, the righteousness and the holiness that Jesus earned by his perfect obedience, by his innocent death on the cross, and by his victorious resurrection from the dead. Like those idle laborers who did nothing to earn a day's wages, we have done nothing to deserve salvation. But God is generous and gives us the wage that Jesus' perfect work earned for us. In my presentation about our work, our ministry in Uruguay, I tell a story about two brothers named Leonardo and Aldo who got involved in our mission. And because there are no time constraints, I can tell the whole story. It's great. 
Leonardo and Aldo are definitely the last in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of a lot of our members too. Leonardo happened to come by our church one day a few years ago and he just happened to glance in the window. We have a storefront and he saw us sitting around a table drinking coffee and he came in and asked for a cup of coffee. So we gave him a cup of coffee and he sat down and he sat through the Bible study. We invited him to church on Sunday and we figured, you know, that's usually the last time I ever see one, someone, they get their coffee and they bail. But there he was on Sunday. He walks in the door and the first thing he says is, is there coffee? Yes, there's coffee, Leonardo. Knock yourself out. Help yourself. And so Leonardo started coming to every activity of the church. He came to Bible study. He came to adult instruction. He came to anything we had. We had to tell Leonardo, Leonardo, the ladies' tea is for ladies. You can't come. And every time he would come in, he would always say the exact same thing. Is there coffee? Leonardo's a pretty rough character. He's semi-homeless sometimes. He lives in uh, a pension, which is kind of like a, a cheap hotel. And so a lot of people thought, oh, he's just coming here to get coffee. And the members kind of grumbled. And I said, hey, if I can get every person in Montevideo to come to one of my adult instruction courses and sit there for two hours, and all it costs me is a cup of instant coffee, then I'm going to buy stock in Senka or Nestle or whatever, and I'm going to distribute a lot of coffee. It's great to have this opportunity. And he didn't really understand the gospel. He had what uh, I would say is probably the majority faith in Uruguay, which is belief that there's probably a God and if there is a God, if you're good enough, if you're a good enough person, then you will get to be with him in eternity. And that's probably the largest single belief system in Uruguay. There are a lot of atheists, a lot of agnostics, and this kind of soft agnosticism that's not super sure, but kind of almost hopeful that there might be a God. And after a long time and a lot of instruction, the wheels started to turn in Leonardo's head and he understood, wait a minute, I can know that there's a God and I can know that that God loves me and I can know that he forgives me for Jesus' sake. And it doesn't matter how good I've been, it matters how good Jesus is to me. And so he kept coming and he kept coming. And one day he brought his brother, Aldo. And Aldo looked terrible. He was very sick. He had pneumonia. And we talked after the service a little bit, and it turned out that Aldo had AIDS. And if you know anything about AIDS, you know that it's often a disease like pneumonia that actually kills them. And so in this time when he feared death, Leonardo, who's not one of your great thinkers and probably not exactly a poster child for the Lutheran Church of Uruguay, not the kind of person we would put uh, on all of our literature, Leonardo knew enough to say, hey, you're scared about dying. Why don't you come to church? 
So he did, and he came the next week. And then at Wednesday Bible study, Leonardo wasn't there, which is strange because Leonardo is always there. And so I called Leonardo and he said that Aldo was in the hospital. So I went and I visited Aldo and brought him a Bible. I shared a devotion with him. We started talking. And Aldo shared the same faith that Leonardo had shared before. There's probably a God. I hope that I'm good enough that I get to see him when I die. What's the problem here? Aldo is in his deathbed from something that he has done to himself. We're all going to die, and we're all going to die because of sin, but not all of us are going to have the realization that we actually have killed ourselves by the sin that we've committed. Not, not all of us can draw a direct correlation with sins that we've done and our own demise. But Aldo could. And if your only hope is being good, and you know that you're dying because you've been bad, you have no hope. And Aldo was in despair. And I kept coming, and I kept visiting, and I kept talking with him, and I kept trying in as many different ways as I could to explain the gospel to him. That God does not deal with us according to our sins. God does not give us what we deserve for our disobedience. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God gives us his righteousness and forgives our sins and prepares a place for us in eternity with him. And he just didn't get it. He just kept going back to all the things he had done and, and all the things he had done wrong. And finally, I said, Aldo, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you believe that he was crucified and rose for you, your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. And still not getting it. He said, but I do believe in Jesus. And I said, then you have eternal life. And finally it clicked. And finally he felt that sense of relief as he realized that it wasn't his life that determined his eternity. It was the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it wasn't too much longer after that that Aldo passed. And Aldo was only a Christian for a few days. And Aldo lived a horrible life that was full of sin. And God rescued him from that and brought him to eternal life through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's very easy for us to look at something like that from fleshly, worldly eyes and to think that's not fair. I've been in church every Sunday of my life. I go to Sunday school. I teach Sunday school. I volunteer at VBS and start listing all the things that we do to show how religious and what great Christians we are. And Aldo didn't have any of that. And this parable serves as a warning, maybe more of a gentle reminder for God's people not to see with the eyes of the world. We can look upon people like Aldo, people that God saves from the worst of things, and not look upon them with jealousy and not think about how that's not fair, but think of how great and how generous and how wonderful our God is. And if he can save 
someone like that, he can save me too, even with all my sins, with all the terrible things that I have done, all the times I've disobeyed him, all the people that I've hurt. God forgives Aldo. God forgives you. And so we do not look upon God's generosity to others, his lavish forgiveness and grace and mercy, and grumble about fairness. Having been called to God's undeserved love, we love others, whether they deserve it or not. And having been spared the wrath that we do deserve, we are merciful to others. And having been given eternal gifts that exceed all earthly riches, we are gracious and generous to others. And having received what God has promised, we do not begrudge his mercy and grace when it falls on others. Thanks be to God, we who by our sins deserve to be last have been made first in the kingdom of heaven by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in faith in Christ Jesus to everlasting life in his name. Amen.